are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. James chapter 2. I'm going to do a cover of James chapter 2, verses 1 to 26 today. And most of the scriptures, I think, is from the uh, New King James Version. Um, we are naturally drawn towards those that are either similar to us or that we believe might do us some good. We judge people on how they look, how they talk, how they dress, how much money they have what sort of car they drive, and a whole range of other issues that God says are not important. In a culture that is fixated on outward appearance, it is often easy for Christians to show favoritism even within the church. And that shouldn't be. As people who have been shown abundant grace by the Lord himself, we need to show grace towards others. Christians need to treat all people with respect and dignity, regardless of their education, their finances, their social standing, their lifestyle. No matter what it is, race, color, we need to respect people. That doesn't mean that we have to agree with some ungodly things that people do. But we do need to show respect for them. So James is talking about partiality here. And the main thing that he's saying here is partiality is inconsistent with God's redemptive plan. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with impartiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with the gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil, with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not rich oppress you and drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? He's talking about that noble name is the name of Jesus. The gospel should never be associated with partiality. God shows no partiality. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 says, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality 
or takes a bribe. We go on to, in the New Testament to Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and Peter has had a vision. He's about to be called to go to a Gentile house, which was a no-no for a Jew. And uh, as Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius' household, the people that were gathered there, and they begin speaking in a language that they had never learned, in unknown tongues. And Peter says, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now the background for this story, of course, Peter had a spiritual revelation of this truth in a vision where there was laid down a, a tablecloth and on that cloth there was all kinds of things that a Jewish person was not supposed to eat. It was called unclean food. And the things like pork and things like that. And uh, so, um, then the moving of the Holy Spirit upon the Gentiles was a confirmation to him what God had said to him. When, when God said, Peter, just kill and eat. Have a feast with all of these unclean things. And, and, and Peter said, Lord, I have never, ever eaten anything common or unclean. And God said, what I have called clean, what I have cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. And when Peter saw the Holy Spirit being poured out on these people and they had that initial evidence of speaking in a language that they had not learned, he said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He do not show partiality. A significant aspect of the work of Jesus was to break down these walls that divided humanity and to bring forth one new people in him. And, and, and born-again believers have one thing in common. They've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And a man or a woman who has been washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven of their sins, don't look down on them if they don't believe the way that you do. Don't ever think that your belief, your denomination is somehow superior to one of the others that don't believe the way you and I do. If God has cleansed them, they are cleansed. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, 14, 15 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. His high priestly prayer confirms this as well. 
He says, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their words, that they all may be one as you, Father, are one in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you understand what he is saying here? It is unity that will cause the world to believe in Jesus Christ. The people who have a stereotype of Christianity and do not want to be found in a church and have nothing positive to say about Christians, they will change their mind and their attitude when they see unity amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. Where this unity where there is unity, God will guarantee blessings. Psalm 133, 1-3. God commends the blessing when people are in unity. And sometimes you don't have to look outside the walls of the church to find this unity. It is sad. But you will never see a genuine move of the Holy Spirit you might see a lot of dancing and clapping and shouting, but there's nothing substantial about it where there is disunity within the body of Christ. We need to be united. We need to be as one. We need to worship God with pure hearts and clean hands. James is exhorting the church not to be deceived by appearances. Jesus is the one and only Lord of glory. He is the right place to look for in times of trouble. He is intimately interested in sharing his glory with you and I. He is the God who gives to all generously and without reproach. He is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. That's the God that we serve. Before Jesus we are all the same. There's no need for distinctions. When we, when, we see, when we see he is our one and true source of glorious life. We can stop running after others for affirmation when we look to Jesus Christ. Stop honoring only those we think might be able to benefit us. It is open. Let's be open to receive blessing from God in whatever source he supplies. What a freedom and joy when we truly allow God to tell us who we are. I don't need anyone else to build me up. I know who I am because I've read the Bible a few times. I've studied the word, and I know the potential that I have, and I also know that I'm living way below my potential. And so are most of you. We miss so much when we look for affirmation in all the wrong places. Jesus is the answer. Keep focused on him. Don't listen to men and women who somehow put thumbs down on the moving of the Holy Spirit. That is only going to get you in trouble. 
I have seen so many people led astray because some great preacher, someone who is able to really speak well, and they have a lot of truth, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, they err terribly. They haven't experienced it for themselves. They have rejected, and then they try to, to convince others the same. And we need to be on the watch for that. You need to be able to look to people that when you are in a difficult situation, whether it is physical, whether it is financial, whether it is relational, whatever it may be, somebody who believes the Word of God stands upon the Word of God and can pray the prayer of faith and see you delivered from that situation. And I don't know anyone. There may be some, but I don't know anyone who will pray that kind of prayer, who says that speaking in tongues is of the devil. I don't know anyone who moves in the Spirit and in prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit who denies the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. James points to the reality of the matter. You do not find the poor in ruling roles. It is the rich, the upper class. These are the lawmakers, your oppressors. It is the poor that are receiving Christ and dying for their faith. There's nothing has changed. You look at politics today. You look at the U.S. politics. And all of the corruption and the terrible stuff that you are seeing is coming from multi-millionaires, billionaires. And they are striving to be the rulers of the nation. And little Canada is just waiting to see what happens. So they will just follow along in big U.S. footsteps. Enough political. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised has God chosen, yes, the things that are not, to bring to naught things that are. And why is that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. This, is, this do not mean that Christians are simple, weak, or of no significance. But this is how the world saw them, and not much has changed. But God sees in a, us in a different light. In 1 Samuel 1.16 we get the first indication of this when God speaks to Samuel. He says, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God sees my heart. I can dress up in the, the most expensive clothes, but it's not going to change my heart. 
And God looks on my heart. So when God uses someone like me, you have no doubt that it's totally God. And God gets the glory. I can't, I can't boast in anything, only the word of God. Take away the word of God for me, and I am silent. I have nothing else to say. Partiality is inconsistent with God's royal law. That's the second point I have here today. James refers to the law of Moses to illustrate his point to the Jewish Christians. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, verse 8, according to the scripture, you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. James spoke this, he was speaking to Jewish Christians, and so this is why he spoke this concerning the law. Summary of this is to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. This is what Jesus said. Discrimination breaks the Old Testament law, and it also breaks the law of Christ. When you read Romans 7 and 8, you will discover there, how Paul regards the spirit of life and, and of sin and of death as a law. In Romans chapter 8, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, what this law that he's talking about here is teaching, the teaching of the spirit of life in Christ. Okay? It's a doctrine of the spirit bringing life and power through Jesus Christ. That's what takes place when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit enters into our life. It sets us free from the, from the law of dead works. We don't work to get, be born again. We work after we have been born again. Amen? Only a blood-washed Believer can understand the full meaning of this. First, Second Corinthians three seventeen says, "Now the Lord is the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." And only a blood-washed believer can understand this uh, to the full the full meaning of it, at least, uh, because freedom and liberty that Paul speaks of here is found in Jesus Christ. You have to experience it for yourself to really understand it. I'm going to skip down a little bit here. James in chapter 1, verse uh, uh, 21 to 27, uh, talks about us being doers of the word and not, uh, uh, and not just hearers only. And in James 1.25, basically says that the one who, does, who is a doer of the word is the one who is abiding in the perfect law. 
the law of liberty. Okay? We're free only when we abide in the word. If you say the sinner's prayer, as like we do sometimes in, after, at the end of the service, and I ask anyone who wants to receive Christ to say a prayer, that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning. If you carry on from that moment and you do not do what the Word of God says, you're not going to have very much liberty in your life. You're going to be still in bondage. You're going to be getting into all kinds of trouble. You're going to have all kinds of sorrow and things going on in your life just as it was before. Although you had a good feeling probably when you asked Jesus to come into your heart, unless you go by what the Word of God says, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be bound by all these chains, these things that drag you down. My gracious, I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> so then, James, James says here in James 2.12, so speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The law I have, the law, the love I have for God and for others. He is saying that we will be judged by the truth and the Holy Spirit gave us the power and the will to obey God's word and to live as we should live and to please God, not our flesh. This will begin to be demonstrated in the first command as loving God with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We leave the judging to God. Don't speak evil of others. Don't speak evil of preachers or denominations or Christians. They are on our team. Folks, Charles Stanley is on our team. Uh, who else? James Robinson is on our team. Joyce Myers is on our team. Billy Graham is on our team. Franklin Graham is on our team. Don't get caught up in the accusations that go around. Listen to what the Word of God is saying. We must act and speak according to the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. Discrimination, partiality should be inconsistent, is inconsistent with the speech and action that define this law of freedom. Those who are redeemed must live consistent with the mercy they have shown. And so my third point was exercise daily practice, the daily practice of being a Christian. And where can I skip here? Throughout the book of James, throughout the book of James, there is emphasis on the activity and the conduct and the behavior of those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is about the daily practice of being a Christian. If I have faith, faith in God, faith in Christ, I will live a certain way. I will be a doer of the word. I will bridle my tongue. I will surrender my tongue to Christ rather than run off at the mouth. Foot and mouth disease. I will not show favoritism. And it's hard not to do that. 
I know. But this is a spiritual walk you and I are walking. And if we, if we determine that we're going to walk in the flesh, we're going to mess up every time. We need to determine that I'm going to walk in the spirit today, not in the flesh. Because that's the way God wants us to walk. I will speak and do as one who will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. First, let me clarify. The Bible is very clear that our salvation is not earned by works. We're not saved by works. For by grace that you've been saved, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is not saying that Christians don't have to apply works with their faith. Christians do good works. What are some of the good works we do? We give to Christian, uh, Nation Christian over there in Sri Lanka. That's a good work. We give to Samaritan's Purse. That's a good work. We give to the Coal Lake Food Bank. That's a good work. We pay our tithes and offerings in the church. That's a good work. You see, we, are, we show goodness and kindness towards those who are not good and kind towards us. That's a good work. And all of these things we do because we're born again. Not to get born again. Because we're born again. Meaning of this is seen plain. Faith is shown. Faith is expressed or made real by actions. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh man, that faith without works is dead? And uh, I can't stop here now. <laughs> Our works means reaching out in a tangible way to keep people, to help people in need. We do what we can to relieve human suffering. We do, we can't help everyone. Everyone's under, you understand that. And sometimes you feel guilty, right? You know, you've, you've, given, you've given to this cause, and you, and you hear about this other one, and man is just as, just as important as the one you just gave to, but you just, you can't give to everyone. And you don't need to feel guilty if you're not able to meet the need in someone's life. I mean, if everyone, if the whole body of Christ is open to what God is saying and listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will direct you to do something for one person and someone else something for another person, and everybody's need will be met when the body of Christ is walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. There's another aspect of works that we must uh, acknowledge. 
And it's illustrated in James and used, uh, his use of uh, Abraham and Rahab in demonstration of faith and works. And this is what he says. Was not Abraham the father justified, uh, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so, if you want to look at it, even when you come to Christ, there is an element of work there because you have to decide that you're going to take that step of faith and follow Christ. If you never, if you never take that step of faith and say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died for my sin. You cannot be saved. Isn't that right? If you want to be healed, then you've got to do something about it. You've got to pray for it. You've got to ask God. You've got to call for the elders of the church. You've got to do one of the many things that the Bible declares that you must do to receive your healing. And so the same thing goes for if you want, if you want a job, if you're looking for work. You can't stay home and wait for the phone to ring, somebody to call you and say, you know, I have a job for you. Do you want a job? It may happen sometimes. I'm sure it has. But that's not the general rule. The general rule is you start filling out applications. You start sending your resume out. You start beating the pavement until you come to a place where you can convince that guy that you're the best thing since, since, since sliced bread for you, for that for that job, for that company. Amen? That's faith. That's exercising your faith. Okay. Works in this respect becomes personal in, the blessing, uh, in that the blessing becomes ours to receive. It relates to our salvation. If you believe in your heart, you will be saved. It relates to our healing, renewal, relationship, direction in life. If you truly believe, you will take a step of faith. Amen? You will attempt to do what you could not do before. You will step out of the boat and you will take action towards your miracle. So this is the one that you were looking for. In conclusion, very short conclusion today. The Christian life is not complicated, folks. Trusting Jesus and the promises of God's word is the key to success. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. There's no spiritual value in a large bank account, fine clothes, or stuff, unless you're using that blessing that God has given you to bless others with it. If you're just hoarding it, it's, you've got some wrong information. God is looking for hearts and lives that are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. People who see all others as God sees them. And how he loves them, we love them. Ready to receive them into his big family if they choose to receive him. So 
a normal day in the life of a born-again Christian is like this, living by the principles of God's Word, being a doer of the Word, without partiality, as our Father in heaven is, a tongue surrendered to the Holy Spirit, not given to gossip or, or filthy language, faith confirmed by works, I have two scriptures that I'd just like to share with you, and this will be it. I got this one from the NIV, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let our hearts and minds be consumed with good things. And Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good. Jesus is saying this. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. That's a good woman, too. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What kind of things have been coming out of your mouth? It shows what my heart contains. So let's be true to God. And if the Lord says through his Holy Spirit today to even one person, you need to make some adjustments. Would you be willing to do it? Would you agree with me that that would be the wise thing to do? God so wants to bless his people. We are living so much below our means. Let's give it all to him. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today. You've been so good to us. Lord, we've experienced, Lord, the, your presence in the worship time today. Lord, the, the announcement portion of the service today was, was so important. Lord, we realize, Lord, that uh, we're doing the work of the Lord and, and all of these things are necessary. And Father, we want to thank you for your word. And we believe, Lord, your word because you said that it will not return void. It will accomplish what you desire. And so today, I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be open to receive everything, Lord, that you have said. Even, Lord, if there's some of us that had to say, ouch, this morning. I pray, Father, that we would say, Lord, even, I, even though I didn't receive that, even though I found it hard to listen to that, that portion, that word, that sentence, that topic that pastor said, Father, I will pray about it. I will seek your word and see what you have to say about it before I, dis, before I dis, discard it as rubbish. 
So in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, do your work. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. If anybody wants prayer, as always, the altars are always open. And you come to pray, and there'll be someone to come and pray with you. Lord bless you. Have a great day in Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.